sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and this is Tom DeLong Profile Series Part 2. Dan is joining me again for this obviously. Dan, how are we? Hi, it's been so long since I last saw you. It has and you're still in... (laughs) Oh, you might not be in Colombia when this gets released, actually. Oh, really? Might, might people, be on the way back. If people are on the Patreon and stuff, they'll probably be hearing this before you, you're back. Okay. But either way, you're, you're you're listening to it. Thank you. That is very much appreciated. <laughs> um, we have just recorded part 1.5 and are going straight into to part two of this series. Hopefully by this point, you've realized it is not an interview with Tom DeLong. Um, that is something that we are still trying to get and have zero success in. Um, I say zero, like one percent success, and that one of his companies got back to us and never followed up, which is great. The, the Angels and Airwaves tour was going to go ahead until Andy got in touch, and then they cancelled it. So sorry, sorry about that. That was me that killed that whole tour. Um, but we would love to speak to Tom DeLong. However, uh, we've got the next best thing, which is Dan and I talking about Tom DeLong behind <laughs> his back, um, and and the nicest way because I think um, I think I I saw one comment Dan after part one who said that we weren't complimentary to towards tom and i really didn't get that from i think it was one of the youtube comments um interesting and i didn't get that from what we said and what we talked about i think we presented a lot of facts and we gave some opinion but i mean we said what tom has done and achieved is pretty amazing let's be honest it's amazing enough that we're doing a whole series on him and he's the first person we're doing it on and it's going to take several parts because of all of the the people he's had to get together and over the time he's done it is pretty incredible. So yeah, if you took that maybe, from it, fair enough. Maybe the comment is a reflection of it being a discussion of the rockier time for Tom. Yeah, maybe you're a reflection. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's kick off with part two then, folks. And do you know what? It would be remiss to talk about the to the stars academy of arts and science and the team that was assembled uh, avengers assemble in october 2017 uh, because essentially dan they were they were the b team not the a team they were the b team so let's take you back to the 2016 and the wikileaks event so john podesta who was hillary clinton's campaign manager um there was a series of emails leaked where podesta clinton Tom DeLong, uh, were all and various other people as well were copied in on a series of emails where they were discussing how they could go about having an organization. Uh, the UFOs were mentioned, and 
yeah, it was pretty incredible stuff, wasn't it, Dan? But it no, it knocked on the head the original plans for what Two of the Stars Academy of Arts and Science could have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Tom Tom's initial team I mentioned in part one. I'll mention the names again and again. Yeah. A hat tip to Red Panda Koala for for digging these out. Robert F. Weiss was uh, the executive price vice president and general manager of aeronautics advanced development programs for lockheed martin skunk works so that's very likely the person that tom met at the lockheed skunk works party sure then we have a major general michael j carey uh he was the special assistant to the commander of the air force command at patterson air force base colorado uh this one is an infamous base in ufo law uh so you can see how someone that is, you know, heading up NORAD, Space Command, US, Northern Command, uh, would have access to the satellites and the systems that Chris Mallon talked about this week in his article. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have Major General Neil McCaslin, uh, who's the former head of the Foreign Technology Back Engineering Laboratory at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That's where the Roswell uh, debris was thought to have been taken. Um, and Blue Book was based out of there as well. Uh, if you can hear a slight scratching in the background, it's my it's my dog scratching her ear. She's not too far away from me. Um, so yeah, ignore that. But that was the initial team. Uh, McCaslin was the guy who met Tom. He's referred to as the general. And he met Tom in the diner to say, during the Cold War, we found a body. Um, and that's where that whole story comes from. And just again, Dan, I can't remember if we touched on this. Why, why was McCaslin talking to Tom DeLong in the first place? It, I mean, it's a very good question. Essentially, Tom worked his way up the chain of command, speaking to certain people and pitching them on ideas. And Bang, banged on the was, doors. Yeah, and McCaslin was brought to him as a guy that could help. Um, he facilitated uh, putting Tom in touch with, you know, uh, advisors that worked on space, uh, intelligence, uh, biological warfare, um, and someone representing the president of the United States, uh, so Tom said. Um, now, obviously, we can't prove that, Um he did speak to Podesta, who represented a potential president of the United States. We know that, uh, but we don't really know who who that specific person is. Now, on the part 1.5 Gnosis, um, long-time supporter, big contributor over on the Discord server as well, asked uh, a couple of really good questions off the back of, of this. And one of them, though, we'll, we'll just touch on was, where would we be now if... Clinton had won the presidency in 2016, would we know the name Lou Elizondo? Uh, and I, we'll, we'll go back over that just very briefly. As we said, at that time, as we know, Lou worked in the programme with ATIP from 2012 to 2017. So there would have been a crossover of about a year where Lou would have been in his role. Um, actually, probably almost two years because it would have been early 2016, Clinton would have taken over and then gone through to, to Lou resigning in the October uh, 2017 would Lou have still been involved and we, we said he probably would have been at some point wouldn't he if he wasn't the public face of it yeah absolutely all, all roads or all, all official inquiries then would have led to Lou um, and probably we wouldn't have had the mixed statements come out uh, that he did work for it he didn't do it it did look at UAP it didn't look at UAP um, just to set the expectation and the tone on the 12th of February 2015 uh, Podesta tweeted when he was uh, you know his administration was leaving office he said finally my biggest failure of 2014 once again not secure in the disclosure of the UFO files hashtag the truth is still out there and then he tagged the NY Times um, so it's interesting to see that even though it wasn't you know necessarily the writers that he, he pointed to it was eventually picked up um, and run with for that famous 2017 article 
and we're going to get to that famous 2017 article in just a few minutes but as we said team a never happened and what we got was an incredible team b um it should be team a and team one because team b makes it sound lesser than and it's certainly not um key members of the to the stars academy of arts and science were unveiled at a press conference on october 11th 2017 um the company was founded in 2017 as a public benefit corporation by Jim Semivan, a former senior intelligence officer with the CIA and who has just done a fantastic interview on Coast to Coast. Dan and I spoke about that on the breakdown. Go and check that one out, folks. Harold E. Putoff, or Hal Putoff, as many of you will know him, and Tom DeLong. Present at the launch, I'll kick off, Dan, let's do alternate uh, names here, was one Luis Elizondo, counterintelligence, and he ran Pentagon's ATIP program studying UAP, as we know, from 2012 to 2017. Then we had Chris Mellon. Uh, Chris was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence from 1998 to 2002. He worked for the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, and he worked there during 9-11. He was a minority staff director for the Senator John D. Rockefeller of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Now, you might might recognize that committee because that was where essentially the UAP bills of the past few years originated. Next up was Steve Justice, a 31-year program director for Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Uh, Dan, you had mentioned one of the previous gentlemen was again from Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Yep. You wonder, is this a direct replacement for we can't have this guy, so we can have this guy uh, as part of the team B? Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's very possible, and, and I dare say likely that Tom started talking to Steve because of those conversations uh, at, at Lockheed. Yeah, next up. Oh, yeah, it's my go, isn't it? Yeah, it's your go. <laughs> so next up, we have uh, Dr. Harold Putoff. Uh, he, he goes way back in this subject. It's not just UAP, but uh, he, he led the CIA remote viewing project, Stargate, for 20 years. So when we're talking about people like Yuri Gala or um, Ingo Swan and people like that and the more stranger sides of this subject, uh, Putoff has been you know, knee deep in this and the weeder side of it for a long, long time. Yeah, and finally, uh, but not least, Jim Semivan, retired senior intelligence officer for the CIA. And as we have heard him talk about recently on Coast to Coast, he's had entities entities appear in front of him and his wife. He's part of a group where he's being studied still uh, as an experiencer. And again, he is a a heavyweight official and heavyweight name, as, as all these gentlemen are. As we finish this Tom DeLong profile series, what we'll do is launch a, a poll on Twitter or Patreon or, or both. And we're going to ask you off off of the back of a couple of names, which would you like to see in the future profiles section? I imagine Hal Putoff, Jim Semivan will be really popular characters for, for that as well. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top for the no next one profile series. Corey Good, please. We're, we're, we won't do that. <laughs> we'll be giving you the selections. Uh, but yeah, I, I imagine it'll be a, a few of uh, a Jim Semivan, Harold Putoff, Steve Justice, and Chris Mellon for for that but we'll see um but i'm looking forward to that but yeah dan listen um that that's a hell of a team that's been set up there off the back of those initial team a team one um in 2016 dropping out because of the wikileaks and and obviously the fallout that came from that it seems there have been a lot of direct replacements here as well and obviously we know president trump got voted in um luis elizondo 
uh, by the time October 2017 came, was frustrated at the lack of transparency that was forthcoming in his role and what he was finding out and what he was investigating. He tendered his resignation, and that's not something he'd done lightly. Um, he he loved his job and he loved his role, and he's a huge patriot. Everyone knows that. Um, and that's not me fanboying out. That's just something Lou has said himself on interviews with us, but everyone else. So it was a job he really did enjoy. And he left, you can believe this or not, um, many people you know do many people don't but he left for what he feels is the the good of the country and that people should know the the truth behind uaps ufos um so yeah that's that's what we got lou elizondo off the back of is there anyone in that lineup that stands out though dan for you as a that's a as, as much as they're all really serious names particularly good get Tom DeLong? No, I'm kidding. Like hmm. he's the least credential of that, and Tom is a very successful person, so it just speaks to the people around him. Um, the, these are all career professionals. Um, you, you know, there's no messing around here. I know there was a thing that came off of that press conference about having a specific picture in the in the slideshow, um, and apparently that was a you know an intern thing, just pulled off the internet and popped up there. But the the words that everyone brought to it, and the melting pot that, that was created for ideas and for we, we always talk about information being siloed and each of these people essentially represent one of those silos. And here we have one organization where they're all in the one room talking about all the information they have. For me, that was the spark and, and why I chose to invest and, and hopefully help them achieve their goal of getting this message out. You use silos, but we talked about stovepipes in part one. That stove was pipes, Tom's. Yeah, stove, <laughs> stovepipes, wasn't it? Uh, Tom DeLong mentioned that he would bang on a door and it would lead to a stovepipe and that would go to a different area and it would be smaller compartment and that would lead to somewhere else and you feel that along the way, this is where he's picked up these 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 people, these characters, these kind of leaders in their fields with, with huge experience to, to join the group. It's an incredible group. It is the equivalent of a Real Madrid signing the Galacticos team in the 2000s. You know, they have, he's gone out and got the best of the best, which given what he was trying to do, it's it's almost like we can we, we can never say it's, it's hindsight, but it turned out almost for the better um, that he got the group he did with, with Plan B. Um, and we touched on where we might have been with Team A in Part 1.5. Now, the early work, that the group was doing in the background was leading to what came to fruition on December 16th, 2017. Dan, what were you doing on December 16th, 2017? Uh, I was, I want to say I was preparing to get my brain turned to dribble and, you know, my, my world blown apart, but I wasn't. I, I think I would have been prepping at Christmas, walking walking down the street uh, with a eggnog latte in my hand. Yeah, enjoying a pandemic-free life not yeah, knowing what yeah. was to come um but yeah on december 16th 2017 the article glowing auras and black money the pentagon's mysterious ufo program penned by helene cooper ralph blumenthal and leslie keen thank you for mentioning helene there people people she's kind going of to say, forgotten right yeah, that was going to be my first thing that helene cooper i she doesn't seem to want to do the interviews, doesn't want to be attached to this in the way that Ralph and Leslie have been happy to do um, and put themselves out there, which is amazing because, you know, as Ralph and Leslie have both said in various interviews, she was a huge part of putting this together. And it's it's very much been, she's done the work, put it out there and left the work to speak for itself. Yeah. Um, if anything, that makes me more inclined to want to speak to her just because, yeah. you know, when 
someone says nothing, a single word they say had a lot of weight. So I'd be very curious to hear her journey through this and how she comes to understand the subject and yeah. where she is now with it. Absolutely. And now we we almost take those those articles for granted and can forget the the weight that came with those. The New York Times, the huge publication that like we talk about in the UK, how anything to do with UFOs comes out via the Sun and the Daily Star and not very reputable papers. And though the terminology and the language used is always difficult and derogatory, it can be. And Dan, I've made no secret that, you know, you helped change the language in one of those articles that went out recently through a journalist we were speaking to. Because again, I, I wasn't massively keen on language like alien hunters and alien enthusiasts and Which it's not, fair it's not the point yeah the, the climate's um, changed now right and we don't need to use those those phrases but um yeah that, that was great being able to get that changed because it just means that when people see it they don't go off and say oh did you see the alien hunter language? and the stigma doesn't follow you know it, it's more of a oh my god national security issue we need to talk about this yeah and this article done that in spades that it was serious it was hard-hitting it was it was a huge story. Essentially, you can, you know, the, the headline is glowing auras and black money, the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. But essentially, the Pentagon had always denied having any interest in UFOs. And what we find out is it did have an interest. It had a funded interest. There was millions of dollars involved. There were senators involved, high-ranking senators and congressmen. And yeah, Harry Reid was the name. I believe when you actually search the, the article, the hyperlink that comes up at the top includes Harry Reid's name. Um, obviously passed away a few months ago, very sadly, but he was a heavyweight in the, the political arena uh, for many things, but especially when it came to the subject of UFOs. Something that, that jumped out to me, Dan, though, in reading this back was that two other former senators uh, were mentioned uh, within the, the body of the article. And like you say, Helen Cooper for the work she done doesn't really i suppose get the same celebration as ralph and leslie because she's not put herself out there in the same way um two other senators were um, part of the defense spending committee ted stevens was an alaska republican senator and daniel k Inouye, a hawaiian democrat um also supported the program along with with senator harry reed unfortunately mr stevens died in 2010 and mr Inouye died in 2012 they were huge proponents of the also the osap program that was the predecessor to atip and really helped get this this off the ground for me uh is there somewhat of a forgotten contribution from from those two gentlemen who are no longer with us yeah, definitely. I, I think so. You know, in the same way as when we were talking about Blink-182 in 1.5, uh, I brought up Scott Rayner, and he's kind of the forgotten founding member of Blink-182, because everyone thinks that Travis was the first drummer. But uh, yeah, you know, they, they're like uh, Ringo, I guess, the, you know, an unspoken about, um, but just as influential. Uh, they just didn't put themselves out there in the same way as Harry Reid did. Um, I remember when Harry Reid passed away, we, we were all a little bit shocked by how the mainstream media didn't cover his interest in the UAP. Uh, subject whereas to us that's the biggest thing that he was about um you, you know he he helped a lot of people and he he advocated for a lot of people's rights uh so i can understand why it, you know kind of out outstripped the uap stuff but i i hope that there's some kind of you know if if there's ever a museum or something in the smithsonian kind of charting what happened here that harry reed is included there 
Yeah, and this is breaking away slightly from talking about Tom DeLonge specifically, but this is a, a huge direct impact in what he had put together and this article coming out as part of that. So it's it's probably the best time to put it in. I asked Lou Elizondo if he would give us a couple of comments on the, the two aforementioned senators. Lou has spoken at length on Senator Reid uh, over the years and obviously when he passed as well. Um, but obviously, uh, Mr. Stevens and Mr. Inouye, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, With that forgotten contribution, Lou uh, gave us some comments and he said, Senator Stevens and Senator Inouye had more in common than one might think, despite their political affiliations, one being Republican and the other a Democrat. Number one, both were senators of two of the most recent states to be added to our union, Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, Number two, both of those states are the only two that are not part of the continental US. Number three, both served our country as military members and our veterans, Inouye literally losing his arm uh, over it. Number four, both were friends and had a deep interest in the UAP topic. Stevens actually having his own encounter with a Foo Fighter while being a pilot. That's something Harry Reid mentions within the, the body of the article. And number five, both were sponsors and big supporters of ATIP. Um, these were great men and patriots standing shoulder to shoulder with Harry Reid. We owe them much gratitude. Thank you to Lou for, for sending us in that comment. Harry Reid in talking within the article says, Ted Stevens had told him, I've been waiting to do this since I was in the Air Force. And that was off the back of uh, flying transport missions over China during World War II. Um, Mr. Stevens himself had uh, an encounter with a Foo Fighter. So, so Dan, yeah, two two names that we we find out and that's something we've heard about in the Tom DeLonge himself talks about all these anonymous sources and people he spoke to that he can or won't name I wonder if those were, were ever part of those conversations potentially um, but also when people like Lou Elizondo mentions there are heroes working in the background that we we don't find out about their involvement and how he, he hopes we do one day there's two gentlemen that never got the thanks uh, well, well they were well, they were here in our physical form, shall we say? Um, but hopefully, they they have that wherever they are now, and that acknowledgement, um, which is which is awesome. They were such an amazing part of this early on to to help get it off the ground. Because without that support, without helping Senator Harry Reid and others, we might never have got to this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, worth mentioning here as well is that those programs in this article did not come from TTSA. These yeah. were separate sources. It's thought that it might be, you know, Christopher Mellon who passed the videos to the New York Times, yeah. but it blindsided TTSA that that happened. They had the videos they had on their website in the in the vault data space, uh, which are just kind of web pages with with some information on the videos. Uh, but yeah, this this was a kind of a two pronged attack, so to speak. Whether they were coordinated, uh, we can't say, but uh, it, it sure was good timing. It certainly was. The article itself, the link will be back in the description if you want to check that out. I am delighted to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, VinoVest. As you all know, I've got a young family and I'm always looking at ways I can save and invest for the future. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. VinoVest is a platform allowing investors to own 100% of their portfolio and easily buy, sell or drink from their collection of fine wines. After missing out on all those next big things to invest in, 
I'm always looking for what is the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one-third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualised returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favourite red. Vinovest makes it easy to acquire new investments, equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell and even drink them whenever you want. Enjoy historical returns, direct ownership of world-class wines, portfolio diversity and robust recession resistance. Go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod zero. That's the number zero. The link is also in the description. To receive two months of fee-free investing. That's two months of fee-free investing. It's time to start investing with Vinovest today. Dan, we're going to play a, a couple of minutes now of a video. That was around for the launch of Two of the Stars. It's got Tom DeLong talking over it, the plans, the future, and everything it entails. So we're going to play that now, and we'll be right back to discuss it. The last show I played was in front of 100,000 people. And then they wonder why I'm not doing that now. And I'll say, because this is the one moment in my life where I'm going to be able to look back as an old man and say, oh my God, I was a part of the team that changed the world. My name is Tom DeLong. Um, a lot of people know me uh, for my band Blink-182. I started that band when I was 16. As an artist, I kind of conquered, in some respect, what I wanted to do with music. You know, I, I, I couldn't believe where I got, you know, and I was like, okay, well, this is a great time to, to try and do something else. Back in 2014, I started To The Stars a media company that would develop science fiction-based films, books, TV shows, comics, all of it. Kind of like a science fiction-based Disney, but for millennials. But I really wanted to make this new project more ambitious, more impactful, and to have it make a lasting impression on people's lives. I recognized that there were people in government that wanted to engage the public on topics that unfortunately had a stigma even though they were based in scientific fact. At the time, there was no mechanism for them to do this. Through a series of meetings, I was soon connected to a large group of U.S. government officials from the CIA, the Department of Defense, and Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. These guys were the ones involved in the secretive U.S. government programs that dealt with these subjects, and they have all taken tremendous risks to themselves and their reputations to do something that can benefit the world. They wanted to be a part of something special, to be a part of a company that could not only change the way we see ourselves, but also change the path humanity is on. We created a company called To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. As a team, we synergistically united our strengths into three cohesive divisions, aerospace, science, and entertainment. With the entertainment division, we create worlds, science fiction stories for millennials that inspire and transcend. We are a publisher, a merchandiser, and a production studio. We have stories about dreams, consciousness, paranormal, UFOs, and many other themes that once used to be taboo, but after newly declassified government documents, are now proving to be absolutely real. We even have our own reality series launching this year on the History Channel, a weekly one-hour series on our company and all that we do. In the aerospace division, we are paving the way to bring our science fiction stories to life, whether using beams of light to launch satellites, building a new generation propulsion by bending the fabric of space-time, commonly called anti-gravity, or even communicating through a new machine using quantum mechanics. For the first time, these opportunities are real and have the potential to completely revolutionize the way we live. 
In the science division, we are building the world's first and only artificial intelligence database of unexplained events, deploying data collection teams internationally, and analyzing exotic materials originating from unidentified aerial phenomena. And here, for the first time in history, this group of spies, aerospace engineers, and secretive government officials have chosen to team up with an award-winning producer to change the status quo. We want to do something more than just tell a story this time. We want to be in the story and then bring it all to life. Educating the world, creating revolutionary technology, and telling the story of the millennium, and doing it all together. There's nothing bigger. To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science is where science fiction becomes reality. I wanted to make a quick message to let you know that from the heart, I left my band and all that I was known for because this is the moment in time where I can change the world for my kids and everybody else's. I would love for you to consider doing that with us. Dan, that package and that video reminds me of, you know, when you see a movie and there's some kind of advert for some future you know off-world hotel and how everything's wonderful and great in that kind of wally type environment yeah, yeah it's almost like one of those adverts you would see played within uh, a movie like that and then they go back to the couple and say well what do you think is that isn't this amazing do you want to invest do you want to get involved that's the way it comes across it's, it's a nicely put together package how has that aged for you when when i was just watching it back i've seen that a whole bunch of times i remember when it came out um and you're right it kind of it strikes as a as an infomercial you know everything's happy at ttsa invest and you can be like us um but actually looking at the mission statement and what was accomplished there's an argument to be made that they nailed it you, you know not everything was successful but where tom says that their goal is to educate the world i mean they did that on on the 23rd of April 2019, Politico reported that the Navy had drafted new UAP reporting guidelines. So even though the stigma is not completely gone, you can definitely say that that Tom and TTSA and everybody there, like Lou and Chris, contributed to new structures being in place or being put in place in government to address this issue on a long-term basis. The the three departments or three areas that they were going to focus on was aerospace, science, and entertainment. Is it fair to say that in hindsight, and we're going to obviously go into this in the future future episodes, entertainment is largely what has has been the the legacy of To the Stars Academy? As much as what what goes on to happen, we we can talk about the Gillibrand Amendment down the line. We can talk about, like you say, Politico's reporting, the way it's been reported on CNN, Fox, you know, all those all those shows that we talk about. And I know I miss out a lot, but in the UK, you know, we know CNN and, and Fox are, are big US networks. I don't need the emails that I'll get off a few people about, oh, I don't watch Fox because in CNN. Yep, I know I get the political divide. It's the same in the UK, but they, they both reported on UFOs. That's, that's what happened. Um, so for me, there was a lot more entertainment as we come to know let's not get it too much just now because we're talking about the, the time but that was the focus and I, but I suppose for you dan would you be like me where you see them talking about anti-gravity propulsion building a new generation propulsion system in our aerospace division and that really catches your eye doesn't it you know for me that that was the the hard to swallow bit of the presentation um everything else is an achievable goal but to set up an organization 
and expect to be able to to make an anti-gravity i mean there was the chance they had a secret that you could do this a lot more cheaply than other companies but this this industry is billions and billions of dollars you know asking asking people for money on the internet and selling stocks that way is is not going to get you that capital so while that was a, a pie in the sky idea and i admire that you know aim for the stars type type way of operating i i think that was more of a seed they were putting out there to say hey look with what we currently know this should be a real possibility that somebody can go make this um and and i i think that seed blossomed and the, there are all sorts of people you know the the whole wall bubble was saying in the, in the news uh, a couple of weeks back or, or months back, I, my my sense of time is gone since COVID. Yeah. But um, but yeah, th- this is the just just the education that they did is helping bring about these ideas or the exploration of these ideas. So going back to the timing, we're we're, we're both guilty of trying to jump forward. It's too easy here, isn't it, to start discussing <laughs> it in is, hindsight yeah. what happened, and um, we will get to that. But at that time, is that looking at that team is it tom that is driving that direction of let's go and build a new generation of propulsion because you would think that that could be an idea but like you say surely if that wasn't something that was possible or achievable that other people jim semivan halput of and steve justice chris mel and luella zondo are going to turn around to tom and say yeah that's great but we're not going to be able to do that so let's let's shelf that just now but it made it into this package or is that a case of tom as it says is the founder and the director and he wanted that in there what what do you lean towards what would you think well when i look at steve justice i wonder why someone like him would be a part of something like this and outside of just having an interest in the uap issue i wonder if the the legitimacy of the science stuff where they were gathering these materials and trying to get them studied and looked at must have been so compelling that it made someone in lockheed think okay, maybe if we have a guy in here, he can kind of help us understand this technology. Um, who knows if they were hoping to understand it in a way that they haven't been able to since the 40s or something. But, uh, but you know, certainly there's there's a benefit kickback for Lockheed if what TCSA are pitching and what Tom are pitching is true. They're kind of the first company to get an anti-grav vehicle out of it. Um, not likely, but I do wonder what Steve Justice picked up while he was at the company in terms of ideas about waveguides or so things like that. Let, let me ask you on that then. For me, that's important that you don't pick one person. I don't go to Boeing and say, I want you, and I pick one of their engineers and I pull him out. I'm going to employ you, build me an airplane. I'm better going to Boeing and saying, how much is it for me to buy an airplane? Like you've got a whole team here building these things. You've got the equipment, the infrastructure, build me an aircraft. You're you're more suited to do that. It seems here that Tom's plucked one guy and it's like, yeah, he knows how to do it. So you're at, you're at the point where there's almost an implied idea or assumption there that it's been done and that he's pulled this guy out to help them do that in a more public facing way. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean that that's certainly a consideration. Even with the and again I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here with the the Krata stuff, you you wonder if or I'll say the Adam project and I'm staying in the right time era. Um the Adam project was to just analyze materials they collected. You know, there are pictures out there with them to be to people like Chris Bledsoe and getting materials mm-hmm. from them. 
So not only this aerospace division was going to build a new generation of propulsion, anti-gravity, as Tom says, there was going to be um, a whole production side. They've got their media wing. They had the Poe Anderson series. There was going to be books, as we know, the Secret Machines, God's Man and War series. Um, you also had a reality series that was in production, but which soon obviously became unidentified, which we'll talk That's about right, yeah. in two seasons down the line in part three. We'll talk about those. And building the world's first AI database to examine materials and such. I think one of the first things I heard about that or remember was Tom on an interview talking about how they were going to use AI to examine religious texts from all around the world to look for patterns and put together what things they maybe have missed that might be more obvious to like an AI system in yeah, terms yeah, of... That's right. Uh, I got into trouble for this once from a listener talking about AI, saying the AI still has to be programmed to look for it. So we have to know what it we're does, looking for yeah. for the AI to to find it. What what we have are more kind of pattern recognition things that are so complex that they look like an intelligence to us. It's not what we'd refer to as a general AI, which would just be, you know, a brain in a computer with consciousness that you could converse with. Yeah, it's like you could build a, a an AI machine to solve crosswords instantly, but you still have to upload the dictionary and the thesaurus to them to have all the words and the definitions and the meanings and, and the spelling and everything for it to be there. Um, but yeah, so talk a little bit, Dan, on the Adam project and the vault, because those were things that were around the, the beginnings of To The Stars Academy as well in those early months. So the Adam project was about collecting and exploiting uh, materials and material properties of, of stuff that's dropped off UAP or, you know, may have been shot off or collected in people's gardens that dropped out of balls of light and things like that. Uh, that would have later become, I guess, led into the, the Karada with the US Army. Um, but then besides that, we also had the Vault and the Vault app, uh, which were two different things. Uh, they, they pitched the idea of having just a data storage um, where you could kind of submit your footage to, like like a MUFON reporting thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be filtered by a neural net that would take out things like balloons, and it would recognize the, those patterns because they're things you can feed into it, you know? Um, and so you'd end up with this nice, neat vault of genuine UFO sightings. I, I imagine that this is kind of what, what column and George are talking about when they talk about what the OSAP database could have been if they carried on and they actually applied filtering and made it a public thing. But then there was a an aspect of it that people were excited about and it's never really come out. Um, TTSA bought a, an app from a company and the idea with this app was that if, say, you and I were down the street from each other and we both saw a light in the sky, I could take my phone out and start recording. It would alert you that someone in the area had taken their phone out to start recording you could go outside and record your own video and then yeah. we get triangulation data and things like that from it. That would have been really interesting, but so far is it's failing to materialize. Um, there, there's a, a big benefit in having something like that. Uh, I, I mocked up a little thing that kind of just tells me what planes are overhead and things like that. And I imagine TTSA's app would have been something like that. It would have told you, you know, nope, that's a satellite. Nope, that's a plane, you know? <laughs> Dan, one of the big highlights for me of those early days of Two of the Stars was the the release of the three videos online. I remember going on their, their website on the YouTube channel and sharing it. I think one of my mates shared them with me initially, uh, Jamie, who still messages me. He sent me the Guardian article today and he's interested in the subject. He's a Blink fan. And um, I remember him sending me those early on and being like, what do you think of this? Like, look at these videos. And we had the, the Go Fast, the Fleer and the Gimbal. 
obviously the the go fast is the object skimming just above the water flying at speed and it's the whoa got it you know what is that thing and i think yeah, we yeah. all have that probably burned into our heads the audio of the pilots we have the FLIR video, which seems to have a, a lock on what looks like a stationary target, and it moves a little bit and then comes out of... There's obviously all sorts of discussions around, oh, does it fly away, does it lose the lock, all that kind of stuff. The, and This one, we should note while we're here, just that this was around, I want to say, 05, 07, around there, 2005, 2007. Um, this was actually leaked onto the internet. It, it was kept on a, a yes. server in Germany. Um, and there were a few posts on the Metabunk website um, and above Top Secret, I think it was, um, of stories which are very reminiscent of experiences later shared by Kevin Day. So this video has been out there for a long while. Um, and even, even Dave Fravor recounts, you know, being asked about it. Uh, and, and then when it came out, the person recognized it from Dave's story around the dinner table. Um, so, so, yeah, th- this one was around for a while. You know, and that's just... why things don't leak. It did. Yeah, I spoke to Tim McMillan about that whole thing of online with all the videos we see and we'll poo-poo stuff or that's ah, CGI or no, that's faked or no, that doesn't look real. There's going to be at least one that's that's real, that's legit. And there you go. There's an example of way before the internet was even big, you know, as it is now for that that sort of stuff, there was this official video floating about and no one really realized at the time. So yeah, um, the the gimbal, of course, being the third one, where we have the object the object rotates folks okay so it does flying along we hear that there are objects flying in formation as we now know off of that that object that's where we've got the cubes and spheres spheres and cubes cubes yeah cubes inside of spheres always get those mixed up and yeah the object seems to slow and rotate and yeah that that famous audio those really really stood out to me and i think even now when when I was in work and in the office and people would ask about, you know, the podcast and even before the podcast, I would show them those videos and I think those still have a really interesting impact on people when they see them for the first time. Um what about what's your memories, Dan, of seeing those three videos? It it surprises me how many people still haven't seen them. You know, like it, the the subject is the biggest it's ever been, arguably, uh, you know, thanks to the internet um and the work of organizations like TCSA. But I, I remember when I, I, I must have watched them about 50 times, you know, probably more over the years. And then you dig into the story of what's behind them. And even up till now, uh, you know, at the AIAA conference this year, Ryan Graves shared more details about that gimbal experience and yeah. and explained how there was kind of a delta shape of, of a number of aircrafts in a delta shape that kind of smoothly followed the gimbal and that the gimbal was kind of very jerky and moving around. Uh, in a fashion that just things that we make don't don't seem to move like that. Um, it's amazing to think that that video being released and talked about properly by these individuals on stage at the you know the TTSA launch and in the article. It's amazing to think that those things have. And I know some people will argue with me about saying this, but they they changed the world. And and it wasn't just in America. You know, Japan has guidelines. China has a UAP task force who are applying AI, probably in the same sense as we use it, um, to uh, filter in this data. So for, for me, it, it's kind of inarguable that these guys have, have changed the world. And obviously that was going to be my final question, Dan, that you've, you've uh, ruined so for me. Do you think they changed the world? How's that? 
I could totally edit that back in and have me asking you before you say it, but it's fine. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, like I was going to say, Tom says at the end of that package, you know, I want to be part of like a, a world changing moment and uh, for my kids and for everyone else. And this is the time to do it. And I think it is fair to say, like you say, if we look at hindsight, it did do that. And the the reverberations and the the shockwaves from those those early days in late 2017 into early 2018 off the back of what Tom DeLong put together and whether the obviously like you say he wasn't involved directly in the New York Times article but a lot of that came off the back of what he put together in terms of that TTSA group and obviously to the stars was around before then as, as a company but yeah you, you can't say that it didn't change the world in some way shape or form here we are five years later do we have def- definite proof of alien life or whatever else that may be no but as we're going to get to, and as we've just discussed on recent breakdowns and shows, you've got Chris Mellon out there now openly on the news, on live interviews, on podcasts and major articles talking about, yeah, that there's a really good chance this is extraterrestrial life. You've also got Luis Elizondo from those early days out there talking about, do you know what, this could be something extraterrestrial, interdimensional, you know, crypto-terrestrial, talking about altered DNA. So at that moment, we probably didn't realize it but yeah it was a a world-changing moment that we can look back on and go wow yeah fair enough what then came off the back of that we're going to discuss in part three dan which is going to look at the reality series being set up unidentified we will not be reviewing but we'll touch on those some early books that came out around two of the stars um we'll look at maybe dip into some of the poe anderson stuff the reasons and the thoughts behind that i'll wear my to the stars academy hoodie that i bought should we give people homework the the poet anderson show it is actually on youtube it's free to watch um the story's a little out there but if you watch it with tom's ideas about consciousness and dreams in mind there are some really cool ideas there so so i'd recommend everyone go watch that um and then when we talk about poet anderson you'll you'll kind of know what we're on about I think it's only fair, Dan, that you put the link in the description now. I will so do, I, yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the final description edit. But yeah, if you put that in there for me, that would be very much appreciated. Folks, that is the end of this uh, show. We'll get into part three when Dan is back from Colombia. This is our official last recording and before Dan heads off. But like we said, we do plan on recording while he's out there. But you'll have heard that already because this show will be likely going out once he's back. So... Dan, uh, enjoying this dig, and honestly, for me, just looking back over that New York Times article and seeing those statements, getting Lou to comment on it, Tom DeLong, at this point, has put together a pretty incredible team. He claims to have banged down a lot of doors to do that, and it seems the only way to, to put this together is to cause a bit of a stir, and he's managed to get some really serious people involved as well. Um, in the next show, we're going to look at those those couple of years of to the stars academy which burned very brightly but probably burned very brightly too quickly and we get some good stuff off the back of it but we're probably going to get into some discussion as well around like you say the the stock um stock issues and you know what the money went to we didn't get that anti-gravity spaceship as a spoiler folks but (laughs) you know we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as and when it comes anything you're looking forward to particularly they might have made it. Tom just uses it for his skateboard instead of having wheels and bearings anymore. It's broken um, It's broken just now, so he can't come to the uh, UK <laughs> Europe for his tour. D- discussing the 
the kind of the core story is what I'm looking forward to because Tom's advisors gave him a story. Um, and a lot of people have done a lot of work to kind of pull this story together. So we'll be able to run through it and kind of add some commentary and maybe, uh, you know, tell people about some events that they might not be familiar with from history. And I did find out, Dan, that at the Tudor Star's office in the early days, there was one rule when entering the building. Go on. Take off your pants and jacket. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. back and nearly kissed myself and I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was wet. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems and they think I should take care of me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your space, consider your life.